did it come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. That's so funny. A floppy disk. <laughs> I couldn't keep it on the computer, dude. I had to save it somewhere. That was all that was available. It was like an old computer, like one of my dad's old work computers. So we had all these floppy disks and he had all these topless girls. And he was showing me. He was like, you're too young for this. And I remember him and my dad specifically watching Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And they Classic. made me leave. Classic. They made me leave when it was like the infamous bikini scene, mm. but I like snuck in the door and watched. I think my dad was watching us that weekend. So, you know, we were just eating like bacon and ice cream, <laughs> watching titties. <laughs> watching titties? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was probably my first uh, topless experiences. What about you? You guys remember Ocean Breeze? <laughs> yeah. Go when girls would go down Bahama Mama. And just lose their tops. Sean Polis and I, he goes, I remember he took me there. He goes, hey, watch this. And I was like, what? And we're just standing on the little bridge over the slides. Two girls just both lost their tops. So they were real live. Oh, yeah. I, Sean, wherever you are, man, shout out, dude. Thank you again. <laughs> what if he was actually listening to this? <laughs> he might. Yeah, speaking of, we're live, so. What's up, you fuckers? Episode two coming at you live. Once again, you know, it's your boy Rob Scott, my man Adam Narlock, my bro Ryan. Howdy. And, you know, episode two, the podcast from outer space. Here we go, boys. Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. Okay. We're not, <laughs> not Attack of the Clones. We're actually we're not covering episode. Huh? episode two. Episode two. Episode two. This week, we've got a very special episode for you. So it's going to be a two part series. And this week, we are covering Stephon Curry. That's Stephen King. That's Stephen King. <laughs> We're covering Stephen King. Um, we figure in the vein of the new It, you know. Uh, we're going to get into this guy's life, uh, tell you about his development as a writer. Uh, we'll discuss his life from early childhood all the way up to his first novel, Carrie. Some of the inspiration for that. And... If any of uh, you guys are like huge Stephen King fans out there, we'll cover a little bit of his uh, substance abuse, but we're mostly focusing on his life until around like 1986, which is when it was published. And then that'll lead into part two where we discuss the book, miniseries, and then the new film. Did you guys see the movie yet? Did, yes. Did go see the new Opening movie. night. Badass. Midnight. Thoughts? Thoughts? Badass. I, I would say it's probably one of the best movies of the year so far. Yeah, minus waiting in a line outside of the movie theater <laughs> yeah, while everyone else was just walking in. But yeah, very good. Uh, so yeah, there's not no spoilers for the new it in this episode. Um, we're just going to be covering King's life in this episode, but we did pull a few numbers and why we wanted to focus on this. Uh, this has been killing it. At the box office, pulled in 13.5 million opening night, 117.2 million opening weekend. The only two movies to beat that this year are Beauty and the Beast. Shout out Davis. And Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which uh, I, I haven't seen Beauty and the Beast, but Guardians was great. So kudos to that. 
Maybe we get Davis in here on a podcast. He can tell us all about it. Yeah, he knows a lot about Beauty and the Beast. Um, <laughs> so as of September 22nd, um, it is the highest grossing R-rated horror movie ever with 409 million uh, worldwide, 236.5 million in the States so far. Wow. And so it's unquestionably the biggest uh, Stephen King adaptation ever. And so this beat unadjusted for inflation this beat the exorcist which pulled in uh 232.9 million with both of its re-releases and it held the record for 44 years it has broken that but not adjusting for inflation which i feel like that is uh it's also different times you know didn't like what exorcist came out in like 73 that's like way more people went to the movies back then right do you Uh, feel like absolutely like what was the movie last movie you remember seeing in theaters? I think I took my nephews to see the new Spider-Man Homecoming, but yeah. Other than, yeah. Oh, that did well uh, opening weekend, too. I heard that was badass. Did you like it? I did. I haven't seen a bad Marvel flick. We'll definitely have to talk about that in the future. But I also <coughs> read somewhere that like it is one of the top grossing R-rated films, or opening weekend, at least. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, uh, there was a bunch of different stuff I read on about it, and you know the numbers aren't always exact on that type of stuff. And a lot of it was saying, I think Deadpool still holds the record for um, highest rated R movie. But and uh, there was one other one. I, it might be like American Sniper or something like that. that like it's something. It was one of those two. Still has that. But I mean, it is. It's still. It's clearly on successful. Its yeah, so it's it's still going. It's still pulling in numbers, and it's on track to uh, just shatter that. I've only heard good things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this episode, like I was saying, we'll be covering uh, King's life. A lot of the research for this episode came from On Writing. It's his closest thing he's written to a memoir. Um, if you d- haven't read that and you're a King fan, this is a must-read um, talks a lot about his life, um, his philosophies on writing, kind of gives his advice on um, becoming a writer. A lot of the other research I uh, also pulled from his book, Danse Macabre. Is it Macabre or Macabre? The RE is silent. I, I believe it is Macabre. Danse Macabre. Don't or me on that. Also called an anatomy of horror. It's basically his philosophy on the horror genre as a whole. His own website, stephenking.com, got a lot of stuff off there, and I found a bunch of good articles. Um, One was an interview he did for Rolling Stone where I pulled some stuff. So getting into it, in, um, in King's memoir, he attempts to show you how, quote, one writer was formed, not how one writer was made. He doesn't believe that writers can be made. He thinks it's like either something you have or you don't, Mm. you know? Maybe she's born with it. Yeah. He says he was like born with just like a natural draw to like horror sci-fi later in life. But yeah, he claims like a lot of his success had to do with just ambition, desire, luck, and little talent. They always say, Ray, what you know, you know? Yeah. And he knew a lot of fucked up shit, apparently. (laughs) Speaking of fucked up shit, and I'm not trying to jump ahead here, but when I was doing a little research of my own, I found out that... When he was writing, on writing the memoir, 
It was in recovery from the accident that he had. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we'll touch a little bit on. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe when he started writing that, he was, like, thinking he might not end up finishing it, you know? True, true, true. Yeah, because it was, like, uh, what she says later, we'll talk about later, but he says it was, like, really hard for him to get back into writing after the accident. But so in, in King's memoir on writing, he... I mean, I pulled this description just because I thought this was so fucking king. Um, He describes his memory as a fogged out landscape from which occasional memories appear like isolated trees, the kind that look as if they might like to grab and eat you. Sounds a little bit like it to me. (laughs) That's his memories right there. That's how he describes his own memories. So, Stephen Edwin King was born on September 21st, 1947. Happy uh, late B-Day, Mr. King. Shout out to Stephen King. You know, that's like three days ago, maybe? Yeah, just this past week, uh, old King himself turned 70. So born in Portland, Maine, he says he lived an odd, herky-jerky childhood. That sounds like our childhood. (laughs) I don't know what herky-jerky means, but that sounds a lot like something we experienced. So uh, King was raised by a single mother, Nellie Ruth uh, says they moved around a lot in their earlier years, and his father, Donald Edwin King, who huge douchebag, yeah, by the way, quote, guy pulled the oldest trick in the book, said he was going tr- out to buy a pack of smokes. That sounds like something Just our oldest brother back. would do. <laughs> <Yo>, pile <laughs> oh, up yeah, the bills, okay. and then I'm, oh, just heading up to the store, grab a pack of cigs. Yeah, so he (laughs) abandoned them when King was just two and his older brother David was four. We'll start with um, a few of stuff that we found interesting, a few of uh, King's earliest memories. Uh, In the book, he writes his earliest memory was imagining that he was a Ringling Brothers Circus strong boy at his Aunt Ethel's in Durham, Maine. Um, She remembers it quite clearly. He was... uh, carrying around a cinder block, acting like he was strong man. When a hornet's nest, I guess, was in the cinder block, one flew out and stung him on the ear. He says the pain was brilliant, like a poisonous inspiration. It was the worst pain he had ever suffered in his short life. Only held the top spot for a few seconds until he dropped the cinder block on his bare foot, smashing all five of his toes he completely forgot about the wasps. That's thing. some major pain <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's his first memory is uh, trying to be this strong man and getting stung by a wasp and dropping a cinder block on his foot. You guys ever been to the circus? Yeah, a few times. It's been a while. All right, but you've been. I yeah. went in high school, actually. High school? Thoughts? Thoughts? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool when you're a kid, but I guess it's fucked up like the whole elephant scandal. <laughs> A scandal. <laughs> That's like a scandal. Didn't they shut the circus down because they were like beating the elephants? They beat out like all the animals, I'm pretty sure. That's why that place, that's why that tiger attacked those magician guys. It's cool when you're like <laughs> you know under six about? years old and then past that it just kinda sucks. The only the greatest memory I have from the circus, those little spin light up things, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the little try the three yeah. yeah, I got you, I got yeah. you. Replaced by fidget spinners. Why do you, do you fucking believe it? I just, I mean, the circus is kind of a trippy place, man. Clowns running around. Maybe that inspired it. Animal abuse. There's, there's some strange things going on. I had my first date at the circus when I was in high school. Oh, and how'd that go? 
I mean, it was circus. <laughs> it was <a> circus. <laughs> okay, so a year or so later, they are now in West De Pere. Is that how you would say that? Hey, it's in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. It's in Wisconsin. Don't look at me like know? that, man. I never even heard of that. West. De oh, Pere. do you know how to say that? Don't you know? So, um, King refers to this period as he had a stream of babysitters. Um, the only one he remembers with any clarity is Eula, or maybe she was Beulah, he says. She was a teenager, she was as big as a house, and she laughed a lot. Eula Beulah had a wonderful sense of humor. Even at four, I could recognize that. But it was a dangerous sense of humor, King says. He remembers this girl clearly, but he can't yeah, remember can't her name. Remember her name. sounds a lot like Rob. No, but this is <laughs> hilarious. So this story, so he says she would hug me, tickle me, get me laughing, and as he was laughing, she would just whack him in the head like hard enough to knock him down. <laughs> she says, Eula Beulah was also prone to farts. She would throw me on the couch, drop her wool-skirted butt on my face, oh. and let loose as she yelled, pow! <laughs> <laughs> pow! So, just imagine that. He's four at this time. This 200-pound babysitter's oh. farting on him in a wool skirt, a little four-year-old Stephen King. So, no wonder his stories are so yeah. messed <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. So he says he remembers the dark, the sense that he was suffocating, and he remembers laughing because, well, what was happening was sort of horrible. It was kind of funny. Farts are funny, <laughs> man. It's <laughs> always pretty funny, right? That's how you get pink eye, boys. Yeah, this, well, maybe the wool's <laughs> like a filter, you know? Like, you ever try to light your farts on fire? Yes. Like, yeah, who hasn't? Yeah. More than I'd like well, to admit. <laughs> so, you can't, if you have your pants on, it doesn't work. You gotta take the pants off, unless they're like right against some gym shorts or something. <laughs> Why do you know that? <laughs> I've had a lot of experience of <laughs> farts. So, in many ways, he says Eula Beulah prepared him for literary criticism because after having a 200-pound babysitter fart on your face and yell, pow, <laughs> the village voice holds few terrors. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, eventually, King says that she was fired, and he remembers this because he remembers the reason why. It was because of the eggs, he says. One morning... Eula Beulah fried him an egg for breakfast. He ate it and asked for another one. She fried him a second egg. Asked if he wanted another one. Being a little kid, he says yes. Uh, this went on. He stopped after seven eggs, he remembers. Fuck. Yeah, and he says seven eggs is a lot for a four-year-old. That's a lot for anybody. <laughs> yeah, so he God says he dang. felt all right for a while. And then he yarked all over the floor. He ralphed. Eula Beulah laughed. And then... Knocked him in the head again, <laughs> shoved him into a closet and locked the door. Yeah. King says if she had put me in the bathroom, maybe she wouldn't have got fired. But he said he remembered being inside the closet and gambling on what he thought was a belch. Turns out he ralphed again all over his mom's shoes and coats. We've all and been there. <laughs> and when his mom came home, she found Eula Beulah fast asleep on the couch with a little four-year-old king locked in the closet, fast asleep with half-digested fried eggs drying in his hair. Oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, do you guys did you guys have any babysitters that were that did anything to that level? 
Like I, I remember a few babies. Sure I remember not. a few that were like cool, you know. I and would like let us do. Oh yeah, I think we all did. I think we all did. We've all but been yeah. there once or twice. Am I right, boys? I'm not gonna confirm or deny names. I just uh, remember somebody suggesting a dating scam to me when we were both searching for women. You, uh, <laughs> you ask. Okay, this will be a great scam. So this. Can our listeners test this scam uh, you, out please, if they're of age? Please do and let us know <laughs> how it works. <laughs> First, you got to sign up for an account on care.com. And spell that. C-A-R-E dot C-O-M. Shout out to care.com. Care.com. Hey, and you you could work this two ways, I feel like. You could either have girls come to your house suggesting that they're going to quote-unquote babysit when you don't have a kid and go... Uh, I don't have a kid, but you can babysit me. Like that seems like a good pickup line to me. You could meet girls that way, super easy. Or I guess if you were super desperate, you could quote unquote be the babysitter and go to people's houses. Maybe you pick up married chicks. I don't know, like single mothers. I that's <laughs> whatever you're into. Rob, this was your idea. <laughs> this no, was a Rob <laughs> Scott idea. No, 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 no. Tell me how I'm wrong. I said it would just be funny if so. Like, okay, say you. What? Wait, 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 okay, what year no, is no, this? No, re, let's rewind. This, this. was okay, not too long ago. Let's, We're going okay, back. let's hypothetical here. Ryan, you meet a chick on Tinder. You go out a couple times. You like this girl. Obviously, you're hanging out, blah, blah, blah. And you run into some of your homies. They're like, oh, man, how'd you meet that chick? Instead of saying, oh, we met on Tinder, you're like, oh, we met on care.com. <laughs> it's like a joke, not like I'm actually getting... Oh, so you mentioned it as a joke. He took it next level. This guy actually downloaded the app, tries to meet chicks off of it. Any success? (laughs) One. Really? (laughs) Of eight? Or did the babysitter come to you in this instance? Yeah, she came to me, but... But then she backed out when you said, I've got this Tinkerbell costume. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have to babysit in these wings, uh... Oh, man. You can work for me under one condition. Okay. So back to King. When he was five or six, he asked his mother if she had ever seen anyone die. Yes, she said. She had seen one person die and had heard another one. When King asked how you could hear a person die. I I feel like that's a pretty serious question for a five or six-year-old. Have you guys ever built up a concept of death around that time or do you remember like asking your parents anything like that i think that's a pretty serious question for anybody of anyone any age to ask like that's crazy man but as old king as a as a little five-year-old asking his mom that i feel like that's probably like around the age you start wondering about that kind of stuff but maybe not to that extent the lion king you know circle of life is that you? Really uh, you remember asking specifically about death in in regards to the Lion King? I have no doubt what Mufasa no. died. I do, man. Like, what happened? How come he's not getting up? Yeah, I think that's about the time I started to become cognizant of it. R.I.P. to Mufasa. Am I right? Pour some out, man. So, when he asked how you could hear a person die, his mother told him it was a girl who had drowned off of Prout's neck in the 1920s. This girl swam out past the rip current, couldn't get back in, and began screaming for help. Several men tried to reach her, but the day's rip current had developed a vicious undertow, and they were all forced back in. 
In the end, they could only stand around tourist townies and the teenager who became King's mother among them, waiting for the rescue boat that never came and listening to the girl scream until her strength gave out and she went under. His mom said she was 14 at the time, then read him a comic book and packed him off to bed. You know, it blows my mind about that. Like, I could go online right now. I could probably jump on YouTube right now and just find footage of something very similar along those lines. But, like, in 1920, man, like, if you're sitting there watching somebody die, that's... It's a little dark. That's crazy. Yeah, and then relaying that information to old six-year-old King. (laughs) Right. That definitely has, uh, I think, an effect on him as a... A writer and being drawn to the type of stuff he is. That's going right? to ruin your childhood, man. Oh, <laughs> You're not necessarily ruin it. had the babysitter just, ruin it for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. A babysitter farting on your face. Maybe it's that, all downhill from there. Those farts probably opened up his morbid curiosity, you know? Maybe he wanted to know how she was going to die. It's a good thing he didn't have access to online pornography at that time. <laughs> online pornography. Six years old? Jesus Christ. On another day, King's mother told him about the person she saw die, a sailor who jumped off the roof of the Graymore Hotel in Portland, Maine, and landed in the street. He splattered, she paused, then added, the stuff that came out of him was green, and I have never forgotten it. A young King remarked to his mother, that makes two of us, Mom. Yeah, that that's definitely the kind of stuff that's going to haunt your dreams forever. I remember one of my first days as an EMT working downtown San Diego. First day. Way was new. one of the early ones. You know, I'm the new guy puking get my the, brains get out. Get that wax the... job, Rook. Yeah. <laughs> I just lost a buck <laughs> to myself. So you were the rookie out there. I was the rookie out there, Gino. Fresh face, just graduated top of the class. Car ramrod. <laughs> we're downtown and this guy is on PCP. Jumps off a building like super, super high skyscraper status. Breaks both of his legs. Oh, I can still see both of his legs just, you know, bones hanging out. He gets up and starts running down the street, man. That's the kind of stuff. I mean, maybe I should write horror stories or something. Now, that was confirmed he was on PCP. I'm almost a thousand percent sure he was on PCP. Could have been bath salts. Could have been bath salts. Angel dust. That's pretty crazy. Dude, what kind of crack up stuff did you guys do as EMTs? Any like fun joke games in the ambulance? You were driving an ambulance, right? I was driving an ambulance. I just think one of the funniest days, uh, I got to I had the privilege of working with one of my good friends who got me into the gig in the first place. And we were leaving the hospital and I was supposed to have a guy spotting you while you're backing out and he goes, Ah, don't worry about it, man, and just smashes right into another ambulance when we got this high-profile nurse riding with us. <laughs> we definitely got in a lot of trouble for that. Oh, that is hilarious. So, in 1954, King suffered a period of sickness that landed him out of school, and he spent most of the year in bed or housebound. This is where he says he read his way through a ton of comic books, amongst other readings, eventually working his way up to novels. And during this period, with the encouragement from his mother, he eventually wrote what he remembers as his first original piece, a story about four magic animals who rode around in an old car helping out little kids. (laughs) Their leader was a large white bunny named Mr. Rabbit Trick, who drove (laughs) the car. (laughs) Mr. Rabbit Trick. 
I mean, that's a pretty good name. I mean, that sounds like something you come up with over your Saturday morning bowl of cereal or something like. As, yeah, as a little seven-year-old king inspired by trick cereal. <laughs> After Wisconsin, um, King and the, and the rest of the family moved to Stratford, Connecticut, to a third-floor apartment on West Broad Street, a block down from Teddy's Market, which was across from Burritt's Building Materials. And there was a huge tangled wilderness area with a junkyard on the far side and a train track running right through the middle. That's very reminiscent of Stand By Me. Have you guys ever been to Connecticut? I've been through it when I was yeah. very young. Not Nothing that I would remember. It's it's a, I feel like it's a creepy place, man. If this doesn't inspire King. If you go there, it's like Woods, Insane Asylum, Woods, City. And just repeat that for however small a state it is. It's not even a big state. It's just a creepy place. It's a lot of insane asylums. It's basically woods and insane asylums. I feel like that's what it's known for. There are a lot of people insane out there. Just I have an ex that live there. Ectoplasm haunting in Connecticut. I I guess, man. Um, I mean, yeah. King actually claims he says um, that that whole junkyard uh, train track place we were talking about. This is uh, one of the places that he keeps returning to in his imagination and it turns up in his books and stories again and again under a variety of names. The kids in It call it the Barrens. We called it the Jungle. Everybody's got those classic childhood places. I I remember uh, an entire summer of skating in a drainage ditch Every day from sunup to sundown and thinking that was the greatest place on earth. Yep. Did you have uh, either of you guys remember a Sandlot type summer? That It reminds me exactly of the movie The Sandlot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can always think of uh, Strawbridge Road, you know, going down there, skateboarding all the time. You know, dropping Mentos into <laughs> Diet Coke <laughs> bottles, throwing Molotov cocktails. Adam, you were there. Oh, yeah, good times. I think uh, even younger, I remember living in Hawaii, and we had a neighborhood place. There was just a tree in the middle of a park. We called it the centipede tree because there was always centipedes crawling around it. I mean, how ominous is that when you're a kid, like, freaking out about centipedes? I remember I fell down and broke my collarbone there. So, yeah, definitely. You see any human centipedes around there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, speaking of that uh, death story with the... uh, old sailor jumping off the hotel yeah kind of reminded me of the stories you get from the cavalier oh mm. yeah yeah definitely yep. every uh i feel like every town has that one old creepy haunted building that has legends right yeah it's just too bad no one saw old coors jumping off the bu- jumping off the hotel you know <laughs> nobody saw it that's confirmed <laughs> i mean some people say that he got pushed out by his wife. Some people say he jumped. Well, it's a big debate. This place that shout King, out to Coors. This place that King keeps talking about during this childhood was when him and his brother were doing classic brother shit, always getting in trouble. And it was around this time that King found a copy of his father's H.P. Lovecraft collection. Uh, the Lurker in the Shadows is the book he cites as finding. And remembers going through it and thinking, this is what he, this was calling out to him. This is the kind of stuff he wanted to write. I uh, remember a similar experience. Rob came home from Granddad's one time and found a Perfect Ten magazine. Very similar. And that was his life's call. (laughs) (laughs) 
from then on, I knew what I wanted to do. I remember <laughs> finding an entire box of Playboys that my grandfather had. I thought it was That's a bowling that magazine. That was multiple boxes. Oh, that was not just a box. Yeah, that was also another one of the first uh, vintage 70s boobies I saw. This guy had like from 1950s all the way to like present day. Classic. Like the collection. So, one day playing down in the junkyard... King says he was enchanted by the idea of shitting like a cowboy. He pretended he was Hopalong Cassidy, squatting in the underbrush with his gun drawn. He did his business and took care of cleanup as his older brother has suggested, carefully wiping his ass with a big handful of shiny green leaves. (laughs) These leaves turned out to be poison ivy. (laughs) Now, I just pulled this. Have you guys ever met somebody that's actually done this? This is one of those things like the... Uh, you see it in movies, but... Oh, yeah, or like a urban legend you hear about, tale. you know? Tall it's tale, a tall tale. An old, old wives' tale. I will say, though, dude, I am pretty positive that that happened the, one of the summers when I was working at summer camp. Like, it wasn't a guy wiping his ass. It was more like a couple was hooking up in the old uh, poison ivy patch. <laughs> they didn't realize that at the time, but the next day they definitely knew. And they didn't even put a blanket down. Oh. I, I wasn't there. <laughs> I thought you were filming. <laughs> I feel like that's probably worse than wiping your ass, maybe. Yeah. Um, depends where I get to now. Oh, I mean, just imagine those juices flowing and oh. Oh, yeah, we got poison all up in there. Scratches everywhere. Getting itchy just thinking about it, man. Like. King says that they didn't get their first television until 1958. And this, he cites, is an important part of his development as a writer. He quotes, I am, when you stop and think of it, a member of a fairly select group, the final handful of American novelists who learned to read and write before they learned to eat a daily helping of video bullshit. Mm. What do we think about that? I think that's uh, very, I think that rings true to a lot of kids today who are just always stuck on on screens 24 7 i mean think about it when you were a kid the first thing you want to do when you woke up you want to watch cartoons before you went to school or on saturday that's how you started off your weekend but now i mean you wake up first thing you do check your phone check your social media check your email kids screen, are like, screen 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 right right all right all day literally wake up the last thing i do before i go to sleep i'm watching youtube i'm watching videos passing out like that's it man that's what it is now it's crazy I mean, even when we were kids, though, it's like there's a difference in watching cartoons as a kid and then you, like, go do fun shit outside. Right, or, right. Like, go play sports yeah. or whatever. I feel like kids nowadays, it's just like... It's just all... There's kids that are, like, six years old have their own fucking phone. Right. They they don't know how to function without an iPad. It's it's a different generation, different times. It's crazy. These are sure. the types of kids that'll be hacking the elections. <laughs> they'll be getting into the government. It's going to be heroes. Secret files. These kids are going to be crazy. The, the next level cyber warfare. Mm. Am I right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He might be. I mean, don't You're you teach something. kids coding and computers? That's, I mean, that's the bare minimum. These kids can do things <laughs> that I've never even seen. Yeah, they're teaching me stuff, man. So, moving in, now we'll get into uh, King's teenage I'm just years. A lonely Forrest J. Ackerman, also known as Forey, King says, changed the lives of thousands of kids, and King was one of them. 
when he began editing a magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. So in 1960, at age 13, was when King remembers submitting his first ever story for publication to a magazine which covered mostly science fiction films. And he remembers his story being rejected. And uh, interesting point about this, uh, he says that Forey, the editor of that magazine, actually... 20 years later showed up at a Los Angeles bookstore when King was doing a book signing and had that original rejected story and got King to sign it, which I thought was pretty badass. What if he was like, go fuck yourself? (laughs) I just didn't (laughs) sign it. No, he says, um, you know, rejection, that's, that's common in the field of writing, I think. King says that he remembers as a kid he had a giant railroad spike that he would put above his bed and he put every single rejection letter he got on the spike and that Mm. just you know drove him to write more and more and more and keep churning the stuff out because you're gonna yeah you're gonna hear no hundreds of times before you hear yes especially in that great yeah especially in the field of writing i think it's a great lesson for kids these days like they feel like if they fail like oh it's the end of the world it's over but it's not man learn from yeah, and especially mistakes. at that young of an age, like he was mm. 13 when he submitted his first story. Like, that's crazy. Right, 13. All I could think about was skateboarding and chasing girls. I <laughs> definitely wasn't writing stories yeah. and trying to get published. That's So the first story he did actually publish was uh, in a horror fanzine issued by Mike Garrett of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, this was in 1966. King was 19 at the time. He published a novella under the title in a half world of terror but king says that he still preferred his own title which was i was a teenage grave robber <laughs> sounds like a title of a misfit song <laughs> sounds exactly that's exactly what i thought of was uh teenagers from mars so at 13 king says that uh All he wanted was monsters that ate whole cities, radioactive corpses that came out of the ocean and ate surfers, (laughs) and girls in black bras who looked like trailer trash. That's every 13-year-old's dream right there. (laughs) This was the age where King and his buddy Chris became obsessed with horror movies. He says their favorite were a string of American international films, mostly directed by Roger Corman, with titles originating from the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Now, he said the stories themselves were not based on the works of Edgar Allan Poe because there was little to do with um, Poe's actual stories or poems, but they referred to them as Poe pictures. And uh, King cites a version of (laughs) The Raven filmed as a comedy, and he says the pit and the pendulum is what affected him the most, seeing that on film. Tis it is, and nothing more. <laughs> Never more. So, now if I'm not mistaken, you actually did a little work inspired by Poe yourself. Yeah, I've got a few. Uh, you might be able to find a few of my old uh, recordings, recordings of the Raven, if you will, out there. <laughs> They're probably floating around somewhere on the interwebs. How old were you when you did that? Oh, probably like fifth grade. No, sixth grade. No, thirteen. I was in like high school. I was like eighteen. No, dude, you were younger than that. <laughs> There's no way. I ha- I was at least like 14. I was in high school. Yeah, maybe. So, during King's sophomore year at Lisbon High, he became 
the editor of the school newspaper, The Drum. And this was when King had the idea to create a satirical high school newspaper of his own. Reminiscent of a Regina George, anyone? <laughs> so this became Kate known as... burn book, dude? Yep. This became known as the Village Vomit, and it was, he <laughs> put the quote on it, all the shit that will stick. And uh, yeah, essentially it was a burn book, like... He would just bash all these teachers, had all their nicknames that the kids would call him in there. And he says um, this piece of dimwit humor got him into the only real trouble of his high school career. And it led to the most useful writing lesson that he ever learned. Did you get were you guys big troublemakers in high school? <laughs> <laughs> King says he only got called to, to the office that. twice. <laughs> How about you guys? <laughs> Uh, the principal and my dad were on a first name basis, so <laughs> Bruce and Dennis were real tight. I remember racking up detention early morning. I feel like that you. was once we started living together. <laughs> I was a bad, apparently we were bad influences on each other. Sorry, mom. Hey, but, uh, you know, they never showed for that detention. <laughs> Old man Edwards actually once called our parents in class trying to make an example out of us. I think I only got detention like once or twice. I was a pretty uh, well-behaved high school Yeah, I think ruffian. I got it once, and I was supposed to get ISS once, but Dad like went down and like screamed at <laughs> the people in the office, so it didn't end up happening. I lived in ISS, man. Once I figured out <laughs> that that planner, you could just forge signatures and skip class. Oh, I was the Done. happiest dude in the world. Yeah, <laughs> never going to class again. <laughs> Definitely forged a lot of signatures yeah. in my day. Um, I remember the time when you were walking through the courtyard. You remember that? <laughs> and I was in chemistry class. So many, man. Oh, my God. So dude. what happened for our listeners out there? <laughs> they might not know this inside high school story of yours. It's a long story, man. Uh, it's actually not Can we long. give a, jet, <laughs> a little <laughs> summary? All right, version, so man. I was in chemistry. There was some girls in there that also knew Adam. We see him walking across the courtyard. There's like a window facing the courtyard in our chemistry class. It happened to be open at the time. I stuck up my hand out the window, did a little hand gesture to Adam. He did it back to me. Then this motherfucker tells the... the <laughs> Like security officer that walks around the halls, you know? Folletta? No, it was the older lady. What was that lady's Hossie. <laughs> Miss Hossie, yeah. Tells her that I like flicked him off. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes into the chemistry class and like calls me out. <laughs> and this asshole is just like in the hallway laughing. <laughs> so you guys were just selling each other down the river. Basically. Brother that's, shit. That's you know? Anything yeah, to that's get classic. out of class, dude, you know? That's classic. So the most useful writing lesson that King says he ever learned. A week after he was getting out of detention for his little satirical paper, uh, King, as a punishment, was offered to interview for a sports writing job with the Weekly Enterprise, which I feel like is not a bad punishment. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, why don't you Let's write about sports for <laughs> yeah, money, we'll man? Give you, uh, we'll give you this job as a punishment. We're going to get you paid. <laughs> for writing. So, yeah, King says he didn't know much about sports. It, that's what he told to the um, editor. Was called His name was John Gold. And he this guy says, these are games that people understand when they're watching them drunk in mm. bars. You'll learn if you try. 
And, uh, of course, King took the job. He says this was the first time he remembers someone promising him wages for writing. Not a bad first gig, if I say so myself. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's pretty damn good. King says out of all of his English lit classes at Lisbon High, his fair share of composition, fiction, and poetry classes in college, John Gold taught King more than any of them and in no more than 10 minutes. Little, uh... This uh, little quote from this guy, John Gold, will be a little uh, pro tip for you. Uh, Maybe you can drop this on your kids. (laughs) So he says, when you write a story, you're telling yourself the story. When you rewrite, your main job is to take out all the things that are not the story. Write with the door closed. Rewrite with the door open. Your stuff starts out being just for you, but then it goes out. And once you know what the story is and get it right or as right as you can, it belongs to anyone who wants to read it or criticize it. I just, you know, I spent four years playing hockey and drinking beer, and I think I learned more in the last 30 seconds from you than I did in those four years of college. So thank you for that. What's <laughs> strictly about writing? Yeah, man, just in general. I having mean, yeah, a degree I think in communication. That's, a, that's a pretty good tip, though. I, I mean, mean I could, you could apply that to anything in your life, man. If we're being honest, we could translate that into the podcast. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, this is just us sitting around bullshitting with our fucking boys. And then you got the listeners out there, the fans, they want to hear it. They want the next episode. And we're constantly editing and doing research for you guys because we want to bring you the very best episode that we can. We want that constructive criticism. Yeah, I think our first episode we recorded maybe three times just to get it Uh, right. Can we cue Dr. Dre's the next episode right here? Post high school, King wanted to enlist in the Vietnam War. Uh, He once told his mother that enlisting and going over there might be good for him, and surely there would be a book in it. His mom said, don't be an idiot, Stephen. You can't write if you're dead. I feel like I've heard that a thousand times from mom. (laughs) (laughs) So King eventually took a job at... Warumbo Mills and Weaving, which is where he was. Uh, this is where he got some influence for a story called Graveyard Shift, if you've ever read that, which was originally published in Cavalier Magazine. Classic. And they bought it for $200. Uh, but yeah, it's in, a collect- it's in a book that he later published, a collection of short stories called Night Shift. Check that out if you want to hear about his time at the mill. Speaking of publications, did you ever work on any publications when you were in school? Uh, not in high school. I didn't in college, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really care about that stuff in high school. <laughs> um, didn't want to join any clubs, but in college, Too yeah, cool. I, I was. Uh, I was at me and my buddy Miles. Rock. Shout out Miles. Both English majors. We worked for the Cadet, the VMI newspaper, and it was actually pretty funny because. You write this 500 words a week, and then you can get, like, if they put your story in there, you get, like, a free weekend. You get to leave. <laughs> if they put your story. Yeah. So everyone's submitting these stories, and they're, like, hoping that theirs gets published. Well, not everyone. They just they had a bunch of writers. Well, I mean, like, everyone only, on the staff or whatever. Yeah, they right? would only pick a few, though. And I remember I actually one like... I actually wrote a lot of like these outlines on the podcast. Like one, I just pulled a bunch of numbers for like Leonardo's movies because it was the year that he was up for the Oscar. And it was like the title was Will Leo Get an Oscar? It was all about that. 
Uh, yeah, that one got published. Cool. And then there was another one. I had never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones, but I wrote about like the show as a whole and was <laughs> like, next season's coming up. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. But yeah, that one got published. Hey, man, winter is coming. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably definitely do a three-parter on Game of Thrones. I mean, Ooh, George R. Yeah, George R. R. Martin. This guy is a huge nerd. Savage. We got to do an episode on him. So pure savage. Yeah, back to uh, King's life. So this is after high school. Uh, after he took the job at the mill, um, he attended the University of Maine, which is where he met Tabitha Spruce. In 1969, while working in the library, he, quote, fell in love with her during a poetry workshop in the fall of 69. Great year. So King graduated with a B.A. in English in 1970. They married in 71, and within three years, they had three kids, Naomi, Joel, and Owen. Clearly not doing a lot of writing in that time. Took a little break. Yeah. Doing writing with another pen, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Wasn't short on the ink. Yeah. So, after graduating, um, King entered the College of Education at UMO, and four years later got a teaching certificate, but could not find a teaching job, so went on to work at New Franklin Laundry for wages not much higher than those he had been making at the mills. Now, is is the teaching job still hard to find? Did you have to get any type of certificate? Oh man, gotta get a credential, a master's degree. It's it's tough, man. I feel like they're hurting for teachers, but they're not taking anybody, and it's just a ridiculous hoops you gotta jump through to make no money to hang out with kids. Like, <laughs> so I love my job. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. Don't get me wrong, but. So it hasn't changed much since uh, King's days. Apparently not, man. Searching for a teaching job. When he worked at the uh, laundromat right after college, um, this is where King worked with a bunch of just crack up guys. I mean, do you guys remember, like, what what would you say was, like, your best job where you just had the most fun with, like, coworkers? Ooh, that's right? tough. Yeah, like, I've had some classic jobs, you know. My very first job, I got to work with the Benning brothers and a couple of other high school meatheads, and we just laughed. We were, we were counting money for a church. Was, <laughs> you got paid to we do got that? paid money to count money what for a church. What year was this? This was, I mean, I was like a freshman in high school, 2002, 2003. I don't know, man. I have some good ones. I worked at the grocery store with Jed. We were always beatboxing over the intercom when there was no one in the store, and the manager would come out. And be so pissed, and we were just like, we would act like nothing happened. <laughs> we're like four like registers away from each other. We're oh. like, what are you talking about? And then surfing adventure, you know, yeah, surfboard classic. rentals. That was always a classic. classic crack up stuff. Shout out surfing adventures rental crew, 2011. Yeah. You know who you are. Um, then you know, working at the summer camp lifeguarding. That was always <laughs> <laughs> just some great stories, you know. Yeah, classic stuff. Um, I actually remember first job I ever had, I was like, think 14. I had to actually get a work permit. And we worked, uh, it was me and Rob here, worked at the, uh, it was just a like shitty tourist shop at Souvenir uh, Shop, if you will. Yeah, Yeah. there in Sandbridge, Virginia. And uh, I, we actually remember one summer, 
perfectly ties Ooh. into what we're talking about. God damn, um, We were both ran the cash register and, uh, you know, most of the job was just standing around listening to the radio. But um, Stephen King actually came in to the shop. And we, I mean, at that point, I wasn't like reading a lot. So it's not like we knew who he was right off the bat. But I, we both remember looking at the receipt, Stephen E. King, and it had a signature on it because he paid with a card. And Rob kind of like looks at me like it was one of those things where you don't really know until after. Like you and don't want to be like, oh, yeah, you're Stephen yeah. King. And he the guy, he was just like a cool guy. Like he was like, hey, what's up? Like ask us a couple questions. And Bought then, some T-shirts yeah, or something. Yeah, was like eating ice cream and then just walked out with his glasses on. And then me and Rob kind of look at each other like, and we looked out at the receipt, Stephen King. Like later that night, we went. I'm pretty sure we went and looked up his signature and like, yeah. like looked up a picture of him. We're like, holy fuck, that was Stephen. This King. was before smartphones. We actually had to like go <laughs> yeah, home and was, look it up on yeah, the computer. Yeah, I actually and stuff. remember working at this job when the power would go out. We had to take credit cards with the old like swipe machine, oh, like dude, in Home Alone, <laughs> like in Home Alone Two. That machine. I mean, I. Who knows? There has to be some shops that still use that, right? I doubt that. Yeah, but a lot of <laughs> so, a lot of crack ups that King had at the uh, laundromat. So he was working at this laundromat. Um, him and his buddy Rocky, they would always find disgusting stuff in the sheets. They got a lot. They would get all the tablecloths, everything from like restaurants with um, lobster and like old bits of rotting seafood in them he said was disgusting but even the more disgusting stuff he said was uh the hospital sheets with just syringes and blood and this was this before aids so that wasn't a big deal they were just like yeah just touch this stuff it's fine (laughs) Uh, we'll just grab these bloody sheets no big deal and uh his buddy rocky he says referred to quitting time as schlitz o'clock just can't wait to crack a cold one with the boys. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> his buddy Rocky just crushing slitzes in the parking lot, he says. He also did a lot of writing um, it on his lunch break at this job in his car. Um, and this guy, Harry, he was the floor man. This guy is hilarious. sounds hilarious. I want to meet this guy if he's still alive. He says, Harry, the floor man. <laughs> had two hooks instead of hands as a result of getting his hands caught in the sheet mangler during World War II. He was dusting the beams above the machine and fell off. This guy was a real comedian. He would sometimes, King says, duck into the bathroom and run water from the cold tap over one hook, water from the hot tap over the other hook, and then he would sneak up behind you while you were loading the laundry and lay the steel hooks on the back of your neck classic hook prank right there i mean that's 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 just hilarious stuff right there that's classic you know running around we're we're working in this laundromat we're finding disgusting stuff and we're we're having fun with it it's the kind of guy you want to work with man classic hook yeah king really knew how to have fun with it this brings us right up to king's first novel carrie and by the time he started writing carrie he had already landed a job teaching english in the town of hampton he says uh, he was receiving $6,400 a year as opposed to earning $1.60 an hour at the laundry. 
Yeah, he said he was earning a dollar sixty an hour at the laundry. Keep in mind they had three kids at this time. He was writing Jeez, when he got dude. off the laundromat, and his wife worked at Dunkin' Donuts as well. <laughs> I mean, Donuts. that's 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 a hustle right there. I, you got to respect King's hustle. So he says he received a twenty five hundred dollar advance for Carrie, and the paperback rights were eventually sold in nineteen seventy three when King was 26 for 400K. Uh, King received 200K with the 50-50 deal that he had signed. Um, Yeah, this I thought was pretty interesting. I remember Rob asking me a few questions about the deals that he signed and the movies that eventually made, how much he gets from the movies. I imagine it's different for everyone, but uh, a few things I read on a, a... couple of different articles I found said that he only received $2,500. I think it was in addition to his advance from the publisher, but he only received $2,500 for the entire movie rights, which is crazy because I feel like that Carrie, I mean, probably did a lot of numbers. Yeah. The the budget was like 1.3 million, I think. And that was back in 76. Another Um, good year. Yeah, and in another article I found with him, it was an interview strictly on um, filming, filming like turning his movies into films, and he says that now he basically doesn't take a lot up front, like he'll just let them buy the movie rights, but he has to have say over the director, the screenwriter, and who they cast as the actors. And he says, you know, if it's a director he likes, he just kind of lets him run with it and do other creative stuff because, like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Is that, like, a newer thing? or I think he's been doing it since probably after The Shining. I remember he had a lot of issues with with Kubrick's version of The Shining. He actually didn't like it when it first came out, but he he says he mostly kept his mouth shut. I mean, what do you guys think of The Shining? I mean, definitely an iconic thriller movie, man, for sure. Probably one of Nicholson's best movies. Mm. Yeah, he says that's his biggest thing with the movie. He says he didn't like the casting of Nicholson because in the book, you see the father's arc from from being a, a good dad to insanity, and he's trying to combat that the whole book. And in the other one, he says, Nicholson, you know he's crazy from the first scene you see him. So King's inspiration from Carrie came from a summer when he was 19 and worked as a janitor in Brunswick High. King and his co-worker Harry were cleaning a girl's locker room, and when King noticed a tampon dispenser on the wall, he asked what was in them. Pussy plugs, Harry said, (laughs) for them certain days of the month. He also noticed that the showers were not like the boys' locker room, and they had U-rings and plastic pink curtains attached. And Harry suggested, I guess young girls are a bit more shy about being undressed. So years later, the idea struck King for a girl to start her period in the shower, not knowing what it was. Other girls being grossed out, horrified, and amused start pelting her with tampons. Um, The girls begin to scream all the blood she thinks she's dying and the other girls are making fun of her when she's bleeding to death she reacts and fights back but how king remembers reading an article in life magazine some years before suggesting at least some reported poltergeist activity might actually be telekinetic phenomenon 
or telekinesis, being Mm -hmm. the ability to move objects just by thinking about them. So there was some evidence to suggest that young people might have such powers, the article said, especially girls in early adolescent, right around the time of their first time of the month. Shout out to Eleven and Stranger Things right there. I don't know if she's quite there yet. Yeah. But (laughs) so these two unrelated ideas came together, um, adolescent cruelty and telekinesis to form what would become Carrie. Now, have you guys ever experienced anyone with telekinetic powers? I wasn't sure where you're going with that question. (laughs) I honestly was not either. (laughs) I just wanted to throw you guys for a loop. But I feel like that's, I don't know. It's one I've never seen like actually happen in real life. I don't think it's true. I've never seen it. If anybody out there's got some telekinetic stories, feel free to share, comment, share. Don't like blow us up with your mind or anything, but yeah, we want to hear about this. Yeah. Any telekinetic stories, feel feel free to email us. Send them our way. And uh now this is where the story's going to get a little dark. I mean, as if it's not dark already. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a <laughs> few things Christ, in his dude. childhood were dark, but this is like very. So, he says that um, this story remained on the back burner for a while. These two ideas. Um, he started his teaching career and then sat down one night to give it a shot. He did uh, three pages, single space, crumpled it up in disgust, and threw them away. And his wife actually pulled them out of the trash and encouraged him to finish Carrie. Which is pretty crazy because that's the first book he published, sold for 400k, and she she's fetching this thing out of the trash. So um, King said it was this point that he learned sometimes you're doing good work when it feels like all you're managing is to shovel shit from a shitting a sitting position, which is true. It's like the whole you're your own worst critic, you know. I think everybody's got that, especially the creative types. Yeah, but so Carrie, um, Carrie White's character inspiration actually came from King remembering what he knew about the two loneliest and most unliked girl in his high school class, how they looked, how they act, and how they were treated. He says one girl had no friends and a crazy religious mother who once hired King to move some furniture, and he remembers in her mom's trailer a life-size Jesus on the cross dominating the trailer's living room complete with a crown of thorns and all the blood he says that mother preached to king the entire time he was moving furniture about being saved and the word of the lord you guys know anybody that religious in high school uh didn't really hang out with the uh, super religious types jed earl (laughs) (laughs) jesus camp he was going to jesus camp a lot yeah but his mom wasn't crazy religious Uh. so he (laughs) says another girl Jed, he says another girl and her brother they wore the same thing every day no kidding literally every day he says she wore gray knee socks a black shirt a white blouse that became yellow with sweat stains and thinner and thinner as the years went on he says the sister had it the worst as she was hated by the other girls sounds like a Britney Spears video to me or something (laughs) hit me baby one more time school girl outfit hey yeah I mean, I think that's uh, that's like the testament of how horrible teenage girls are, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says <laughs> both nothing worse. Yeah, am I right? I oh. mean, that, that teenage girls 
Look, if we have any high school girl listeners, you know, just <laughs> don't. Next time you see the, uh, you know, the bigger girl or the girl that's not as pretty Dirty as you girl. walking down the hall, why don't you try just reaching out to her and saying, hey, have a nice day. <laughs> and, you know, don't knock her books out of her hand or ridicule her for not being cool. Throw tampons at her. Yeah. Joker for wearing the same clothes every day because yeah. maybe she can't afford clothes. Maybe That's let's don't up, do dude. that. So King says both of these girls were dead by Carrie's publication. Whew. He says the, the first girl with the crazy religious mother, she died of a seizure in her apartment as there she was alone and there was no one there to help her when she fell the wrong way on her neck. The latter girl actually shot herself in the stomach with a 22 caliber in her basement. Very dark. I mean, he said he quotes, he says it was probably a lot of her marriage at the time because he talks about that. But he thinks little high school hangover might have um, pushed her over the edge. Mm. So King also quotes that very rarely in his career has he ever explored more distasteful territory. Which is crazy when you think about it, like all the fucked up shit that he's written and he says his most distasteful territory was remembering these two ridiculed girls at in his high school. I don't know, man. I mean, some dark shit. Yeah, it's very mean, dark. But I mean, he he's, is always writing about some crazy shit. Yeah. So. I mean, he's written about crazy stuff. So now... Um, We'll just talk a little bit about King's substance abuse issues. Um, King says the first time he got drunk was in 1966, age 19, on a senior trip to Washington, D.C., off a bottle of old log cabin whiskey that he purchased for $1.95 in New York. Do you guys remember the first time you got drunk? Yay? Nay? Blacked out? First time I blacked out or first time I got drunk? First time you remember clearly being drunk. Yeah, I think it was, uh, no, with a little help from uh, the old Baileys. I think that's one of my first memories, playing Indian with you guys and trying to hide the bottle under the bed <laughs> so Dad wouldn't find it, but we didn't Did do a good work. job. No. Yeah, I remember uh, specifically one of the first times I got drunk or actually, this had to be like the first time I clearly remember being drunk it was with uh, Nick Laos. <laughs> Shout out Nick Laos. <laughs> Shout out to Rumble Mint. No, oh. It wasn't off Rumble Mints. It was off a suicide of every one of my of dad's liquors, which he had some disgusting stuff, just <laughs> scotch and like old <laughs> rum and just yeah, disgusting dude. mixing all of that. But yeah, I, I clearly remember that. Um, so King says that night he was galactically <laughs> fucked up. Love that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we got we to start using that in our everyday lingo. So he says he remembers going to a girl he liked, trying to tell her she had beautiful eyes. He also remembers telling another girl that he discovered the secret life of Dean Martin. <laughs> what does that mean? That means. I, I mean, I feel like that's just a drunk thing that you say. I'll, I'll start saying that next time I'm drunk. If you can't pick up a girl with that, how can you pick her up, man? <laughs> After that night, uh, he says he was like super hungover, got a warning from uh, one of the chaperones on the trip, said he would never do it again, promised this guy. Next night, 
King went out, bought a fifth of four roses with no ID. Hell yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big step going from that's some really old log looking. cabin to four roses. I feel like four roses is a decent uh, whiskey. <laughs> Don't so know about that. King says that he realized he had a problem with alcohol in uh, around 78, 79. This was when novels like The Stand, The Dead Zone, The Long Walk were published. Um, he says a deeper part of him realized in about 75, when it, which was when he wrote The Shining. And he says evident in a lot of his writing. Dude, for sure evident in The Shining, man. Especially since he was actually either living in Colorado or had like recently visited some friends and family out there. Yeah, I remember he says he he went and stayed at the hotel, which the one that was haunted in Colorado, which is what gave him the inspiration for the book. And it's evident that um, Jack Torrance is he's writing about himself, a struggling yeah. writer, and is kind of Going trying to save himself from insanity. Yeah, and it's you know he doesn't drink in the novel, and then he's drinking at the bar. Definitely a lot of a lot of stuff about substance abuse in there. Um, he says in the in the novel Misery, which was published in '87, uh, only a year after it was published, was when uh, this was when he was really deep. He says he remembers getting into drugs in '85, so around like Misery and it was like the peak of his uh, drug and drinking addiction, and he says. Um, Annie Wilkes in Misery, the uh, character played by Kathy Bates. She was Coke. She was booze. His biggest fan. She kept him writing. You know, he was her captor or like the captor of Coke and booze, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, 85, he remembers getting into drugs. Uh, tail end of it was when he wrote The Tommy Knockers, which he cites as one of his worst books. Uh, this was when his wife staged an intervention. Um, and actually, when she staged the intervention, she brought up that he he was he would actually drink like Listerine and Scope bottles. Oh, that's geez. how yeah, yeah, that's how like bad it was. And um, towards the end of his adventures, he calls them, he was drinking a case of sixteen ounce Tall Boys a day. Sounds like Roman back in the day. Yeah, King can really yeah, put him back. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he can hang with the boys. Pure I mean that's that's crazy. He says uh, he says he doesn't even remember writing the novel Cujo at all. Just blacked out for yeah. the whole writing. And process. He, yeah, and he says he doesn't say published. that. Yeah, he says he doesn't say that as a brag or anything. He says he wished he remembered putting that stuff on pages, but it he just doesn't. That's crazy, man. Um, in '99, uh, King was in a pretty bad van accident. He had to be airlifted to a hospital. Um, undergo surgery he said this was uh one of the hardest it was really hard for him to come back to writing after this uh just like with his substance abuse he said that that was another period in his life where after substance after he got sober it was really hard for him to write again um but yeah he still has managed to come back from both of those still out there kicking um so he's a uh, few of king's philosophies um on writing horror as a genre he says uh there's three elements there's terror horror and revulsion terror king says is is what he strives to do in all his novels this is the moment before the audience is introduced to the monster um 
this he says is the is one of the hardest things to do but it's it's the biggest payoff um horror is the moment when you see the monster it's the uh terror in the audience being revealed and then revulsion he says is just a cheap gimmick it's a gag reflex um just shock value you know like all these gory movies we see nowadays he said like saw uh, comes to mind hostile yeah just uh, shock value for the sake of shock value or gore. He says that's that's like the lowest of the low. Um, and what he strives to do is is build terror in the audience. I um, got to agree, man. Like, a lot of movies there are just gross. Like, I don't want to see that. I, I want the buildup. I want the suspense. Like that's, that's scarier to me than seeing guts and blood and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of his novels, I mean, he definitely has some shock value parts in there, which yeah, he says he does do, but he said, uh, I mean, it's evident in a lot of his novels, he's building up a lot of mental, uh, states and, and, and terror in the audience. It's, it's really, uh, it clear. And especially in the new it, uh, if you get a chance to see it, definitely Very check creepy. it out. Yeah. So as of 2013, um, King's estimated per year earnings are 20 million and his total earnings throughout his career is upwards of 400 to 450 million, Ooh-y. probably way more with this new it, uh, since Carrie's publication, King has published over 56 novels, including seven under the pen name Richard Bachman, 200 short stories, and has become one of the world's most successful writers. His books have generated over 100 film or TV adaptations, most famously probably The Shining or The Green Mile, I'd say. Mm. Um, Maybe Shawshank Redemption. What do you guys think? Stand by Me was a good one. Misery, yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah definitely, I'd definitely I'd The Shining. Yeah, there's a that's a good list of Stephen King films, man, for yeah. sure. I'd probably say The Shining is his most well-known adaptation, but I don't know. Maybe it, uh, it could be something else. Uh, maybe Stand by Me, but. Uh, it's ironic that The Shining is his most famous adaptation, but that's the one that he like, like doesn't hates. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did, he says he doesn't hate it. He kind of understands like Kubrick as a director, but yeah. he yeah, like he just disagrees with a lot of the stuff on it. Um, yeah. So amongst King's favorites, uh, Stand by Me, Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, Misery, and Cujo. And then uh, just a few interesting stuff we pulled about the man himself. Sometimes um, he wears a beard from the end of the World Series all the way until spring training. Kind of like the anti-playoff beard. Yeah, yeah. I might start uh, picking up that little <laughs> tip from King. Is that uh, only when the Red Sox win the series? Maybe. I mean, I believe he's a Red Sox fan. Up New there. England oh. guy. You yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I looked it up. He's actually a diehard Sox fan. Hey. White Sox? <laughs> Red Sox, dog. Come okay. On. So... Um, Guys on from Maine. Yeah, on his Close website, to him. Uh, he has a bunch of frequently asked questions. Uh, these are pretty funny. Go check them out. Uh, some of them are just like, "Are you dead?" <laughs> I mean, like this is stuff he gets all the time. We um, get the same <laughs> question asked us all the time. So one of the ones he pulls is, um, they're asking, uh, "Do you really have a haunted house at your mansion every year on Halloween?" King says, "Absolutely not. Don't come to my house on Halloween. We've done trick or treat a few times." Um, 
we had 600 to 800 people, and one time we had 1,400 people show up for candy and treats. That's like half our high school, man. That's Which, crazy. Yeah, it's hilarious. He has like this. If Google his mansion in Maine, it's badass. Yeah, it's sick. It's a big brick, like haunted house looking thing with uh, these iron fences. Rot iron yeah, gates. Rot iron like cobweb yeah, fences. Cobweb it's pretty badass. Um, so. Another thing I just pulled for you guys. Um, so a few King's been out there for a, a long time. He's published a lot of books. And according to several collectors' websites, a true first edition of King's second novel, Salem's Lot, is the holy grail for collector diehards. Um, so apparently there was a price change in the original from eight ninety five to seven ninety five of the hardcover. And there's only four copies with the original price of eight ninety five, and one allegedly, w- yeah, one was offered for sale ten years ago for sixty k. Copies of the second oh. first edition, which include a mistaken reference on the dusk jacket, um, can be found for up to twenty six k. And even in two thousand four version of the book, uh, including additional material sold for $4,800. So if you're ever at any old antique stops, be sure you uh, check out the books. See if they got those Stephen King got rare, rare first finds. Gems. Old diamonds in the rough, if you will. So um, to close this one out, uh, we'll, we'll give you a quote from the old savage himself. Uh, <laughs> this is from the book, Danze Macabre. Uh, In an analysis of why people read and watch horror, King concludes, Perhaps we go to the forbidden door or window willingly because we understand that a time comes when we must go whether we want to or not. Mm. And on that, we will see you on another time. uh, See you on episode two where we get into uh, all about it. Clowns. Going to get real creepy. Um, Just before we go, a few shout outs. Um, Shout out to Kevin Pettit and Martin Frazier. They have a podcast called Lads. uh, Loud Americans discussing soccer. (laughs) Go check them out. Uh, Give them a subscribe. Yeah, if you're into soccer or sports in general. Um, Shout out, lads. Uh, shout out to the people who have been giving us five-star reviews on Ooh, iTunes. Yeah, Loving keep those that. coming, guys. Yeah, keep those coming. I'm telling you guys, the thing is, go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and insult us. We want to hear your best insults, <laughs> and we're going to roast each other or on the comments. next episode. Yeah, or compliments if you're feeling, Either feeling like that. Either way. Either way is yeah. fine. And uh, we, we want to roast each other on the next episode, so uh, be sure to leave those. Uh, subscribe and keep on listening. Yep, stay tuned. Episode two coming soon. Peace. No, shed a tear just as long as you stand. Stand by me. And all.